lots of recording on. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here tonight. Um, and I'll introduce myself a little bit and and then I'll kind of get into the story of the book because I need to tell you the story of the book before we get into the virtues of Our Lady and that ties into tonight and the heart of femininity and womanhood. Um, but my name is Megan Madden. I'm a wife to a Catholic theologian. We are American, but my husband's studies has brought us all over Europe, really. Um, and we ended up in Oxford, where he teaches for the Blackfriars there. And I have five children at home, six on the way, um, number six. And um, I homeschool. Uh, we moved here about a little over 18 months ago. And we are really enjoying just making a home here in the UK. Um, so I, um, during my husband's studies, <laughs> he was studying theology. We were in Ave Maria, Florida, where he was studying theology. And he was finishing up and we were discerning where to go next. And he decided to get a license in theology. So we went over to Austria at the International Theological Institute. And I started taking graduate courses in marriage and family, but I kept getting pregnant and I lost these, these babies. Um, so I ended up um, quitting my studies because I really needed to focus on my family at the time. I was feeling very stretched, but I kept reading because my thesis was going to be on the complementary nature of man and woman. And I was just so interested in the question of what it means to be a woman, because we are told so many different lies in today's day and age. Um, and there's so many different voices coming from the culture on what it means to be feminine, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother, like, what are we supposed to be? Who? And it came down to this question of what does it mean to be a woman? I want to know what the church says about this. So I dug and I dug and I dug and I read all of John Paul II, anything that he would say about femininity and masculinity, um, especially love and responsibility, which is where he took his notes and his philosophy for TOB. But I wanted to get to like the root of TOB, like what were his actual thoughts? So I went right to the to the heart of it. And then I read Edith Stein, Alice von Hildebrand, von Hildebrand Gertrude von Lefort. Um, I dug into all of these great writers on woman and what I, I came to this conclusion that first of all, no one taught me these qualities of femininity. I never learned these things. And I wondered why I was like, why didn't, why didn't I know this? Like, like motherhood, the maternal heart of woman is ingrained in each of us. And that there are these qualities that we have that when we know we have these qualities as, as women, we can tap into them and live it out more fully. So we have these natural qualities and they're going to come out in different ways. And Edith Stein is so wonderful because she says the feminine genius can be lived out in any state in life in whatever profession you do and whatever you do, but don't lose your femininity. Like this is part of being a woman, like know those qualities. And what I came to this conclusion is we can't live out these qualities fully unless we actually know what they are. And once we know what they are, we can tap into them and then we can be the most woman we can be. And I think this is particularly a battle right now because we're facing an identity crisis. That's what we're facing. We don't know what it means to be a man and a woman anymore. We're talking about different genders. Suddenly there's more than two genders, right? All of these things. So how can I battle this in a peaceful, gentle, godly way, right? Well, I can be who I'm meant to be. You can be who you're meant to be. So as I kept reading, I came to the conclusion that the ultimate end of femininity is imitation of Mary, period. That's it. It's imitation of Mary, which is what led to my book. So um, the book is called Mary Teach Me to Be Your Daughter. And I have to introduce you to the book before we get into these virtues of Our Lady, because this is the first time I'm really talking about the content of the book. I've kept it pretty under wraps. Um, if you follow me on social media, I said I would mention my social media. I have uh, just briefly um, an Instagram account called A Mother's Lace. I named it after St. Zelie, dedicated it to Our Lady. 
Um, and it's my work. It's my lace making, as St. Zelie said. Um, it is a place where I try to evangelize to femininity and talk about the heart of woman and the different qualities of woman um, and imitation of Mary and um, femininity internally embraced and externally expressed. So that's what I do there. Um, and it led to me writing quite a bit, um, which led to some questions of, will you write a book? And as I prayed with that, we were living in Poland at the time, and I was working for an apostolate there for um, university students. My husband and I were jointly working together. And um, at the time we had four children. It was absolutely lovely. lovely. Um, COVID hit and we, got, we had to go back to the US. So we thought we'd go back for six weeks and then we would return and he would work at the university. I decided to quit my job because it was too much because I was still homeschooling. Um, it was just too much for me. And so we were going to move back and, you know, had it all planned out. Well, the flights got canceled, canceled, canceled. We were there for 18 months. Luckily, my family was there. Everything was fine. But during this time, it was pivotal because our whole life switched. It's what brought us to Oxford, right? Um, and I had been praying one day to Our Lady. And I just said, um, what is it that... The Lord wants from us right now, like everything, all these doors are shutting and we don't know what we're supposed to do or where he wants us, where he wants us to go. And um, we felt so called to live in mainland Europe and, you know, and there's this tie to Europe, like there's this tie over on the other side of the sea, but just wipe that out of me if it's not the Lord's will, you know, all of these things. And then I just said, mother, I was just thinking of her perfections and her beauty and her submission to God and trust. I said, mother, teach me to be your daughter. And I just started weeping. And in that moment, I knew exactly what I would write about in this book. And I called it Little Blue Book. And I got, I had this blank um, blue journal that I thought I would write out Our Lady's virtues. And then I would just think about them and meditate on them, it, just in my own life, privately, um, and how to live them out more fully in my, as a wife and as a mother. Um, now, the, <laughs> the actual book remained blank. I still have it because in that moment when I said that prayer, I knew it needed to be a book that I write publicly. And um, I had put it on my Instagram account that I would write this book. And within four hours, I had a publisher. So it was just like, all right, you're writing, you know? So I wrote this book and I, it is the fruit of that question of what it means to be a woman, which is why I tied that all into the introduction because it all comes back to that. Um, because I believe Our Lady is the perfect mother for us as imperfect children, and she's meant to be this inspiration. So what I looked at is her 10 principal virtues according to St. Louis de Montfort. St. Louis de Montfort was um, a Marian, um, philosopher, theologian. He, he's a priest. He's a saint, obviously, but he was particularly dedicated to Our Lady. He wrote um, so many different books on preparations to consecrate yourself to Our Lady and about Our Lady's heart. And he coined these 10 particular virtues of Our Lady that she manifests in her life. Um, and so I'm going to tell them to you because we're going to talk about them tonight. So the first is profound humility, lively faith, blind obedience, continual prayer, universal mortification, divine purity, ardent charity, heroic patience, angelic sweetness, and divine wisdom. So those are the 10. <laughs> um, so we're, we're looking at the, the perfect woman. This is the new Eve. This is... Um, this is our inspiration. Um, and the thing is that, I am gonna get water. Um, the thing is, she can be intimidating, right? Because she's perfect. It's like, is she untouchable? Can we actually be like this mother who is um, so perfect? And my answer is, of course not. We can't be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. Um, but, She's an inspiration, and we can strive to be like her and grow in holiness. And we are called to be bridal women. We are called to union with Christ. We are called to holiness. We are called to be saints. 
And therefore, we are called to imitate our lady's perfect um, perfections and be inspired by her. Just in the same way that we look to the Lord and say, I want to be like you. I want to live like you. I want to live out this gospel of love, right? So um, I know she can seem intimidating, but tonight I ask you to just have open hearts to just receiving her particular maternal love for you. She loves you individually as a daughter. You are her daughter. She is your mother, and she's here for you. And she's here for you in the really hard moments, in the difficulties in life, in your motherhood, in the challenges, in the sin, in all of it. Be that Mary Magdalene to her and just stay next to her at the cross. Like, that is what we are called to do. Um, And so I I hope tonight she inspires you and that you feel closer to her at the end of this. And with that, we will get into the first virtue, profound humility. In my book, I tied each virtue to a particular quality of the feminine heart. So I, that, that I read, you know, from these other philosophers on womanhood and femininity. So I tied profound humility to the receptive woman. And the reason is that we need to be empty in order to receive. So there's three steps that I'm going to give on growing in imitation of Our Lady's profound humility. And the first is being emptied and humbled. With humility, humility is complicated because if you pray like the litany of humility, for instance, it's uh, really unpleasant and you are going to undergo humiliations. Like humility needs to be practiced and it's practiced by being humiliated. So (laughs) it's not a very fun virtue um, because you're made little, like Therese, little, 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 you know, Um, and it's not that you're degraded in this, but there's an emptying that happens in you. You recognize who you are and who you are not. (laughs) So um, St. Catherine of Siena always talks about that. She says, I am uh, she who is and you are, or no, I am she who is not and you are he who is. I I think that's one of her quotes in in, um, one of her writings, but so, so we're empty when we're emptied and humbled um, through the process of humiliations and practicing humility, praying for humility. Um, we are able to receive God's gifts. He raises us up, but it's Him instead of us saying, "Look at you know, like going saying, I'm look at me." You know, <laughs> He we we're humbled, and then He takes our hand and pulls us up, and. In those moments of him pulling up, we're receiving his gifts and his love. So that's step two is receptivity. So we can look at Our Lady's life at the Annunciation, her in her spiritual poverty and her deep humility, her profound humility, receiving God into her womb, into the fullness of who she is. She received his gift. So one, being emptied and humbled, Two, receiving God's gift. And then three, rejoicing in the gift. So we see this in the visitation. She went and she saw Elizabeth and she rejoiced in the gift. Now it might seem, that one might seem easy, right? We rejoice when we receive gifts from God. But how many times do we receive a gift and we just start thinking about the difficulties? For instance, if you're about to, you, you find your spouse and um, maybe you, you know, he's down on one knee and he asks you to marry him and you say yes. And then you're like, oh, wait, like, what about the wedding? And is, is it going to cost too much to do this? And, you know, like all the things sort of come in the head of like the difficulties that can happen. But but particularly in motherhood, I always think, you know, like maybe a baby's coming and you're so excited for the baby. And then you're like, oh. Now I'm going to be really nauseous and I'm going to be tired and there's going to be all these hard things. There's, we, we look at both and, and that's, there's a truth to that. There's an honesty of recognizing um, difficulties. But the, the thing with this, this rejoicing is literally just seeing it all as gift. So Our Lady, when she said yes 
she said yes to all of Christ's life. She said yes to him coming in her womb and being her baby. She said yes to his childhood. She said yes to his ministry and that moments of letting go of her, her baby, right? And she said yes to the cross when she gave her fiat. She, she rejoiced in all of it, in all of salvation history, in the whole of the story with the joys and the suffering. And so that is where the challenge comes in rejoicing in the gift, rejoicing in the joys and suffering that come with the gifts we receive in life from the Lord. Because the Lord, these gifts are all good and everything is coming from a father of love. Everything in our life is predestined by this father of love and anything that is permitted that is difficult, he can pull good and beauty out of evil, great evil. Um, so that is that was the first virtue, was profound humility. The second is lively faith, and I tied it into the maternal woman. And I, the reason I tied lively faith into the maternal woman is due to self-knowledge. So when we think of who, I, who am I as a woman, um, all women are called to be mothers, be it spiritual physical or psychological mothers, all women are called to be mothers. That is ingrained in our hearts and all our qualities will lend to that. Um, all our natural qualities, our natural gifts. So when we receive, faith is different from humility, right? Because we pray for humility, we practice, we practice humility, we have to practice it. With faith, it is pure gift. So we have to pray for it. And then it's it's a gift given. Um, now, when we're praying for it, we can think about um, prayer, especially in motherhood, the problems of in a mother's prayer life, for instance. So there's, there's seasons in our prayer life where um, maybe we thought before, I, I'm assuming a lot of us are mothers in here, right? Because we're Catholic mothers, but may, maybe not, but, but um, like physical mothers. But um, in different seasons of our life, it's harder to have a contemplative prayer life, right? In quiet and silence, that's like kind of unique. Like <laughs> you can find that. Um, and I know, you know, particularly, I remember before I became a mother, um, I, I had this like very disciplined prayer life. And then I became a mom and I just thought, uh, am I failing? You know, like I don't know what to do. And, and you realize that that prayer fits in not just through service, right? It, it's very much service-oriented prayer, but also it just ties throughout the day. You can have these little arrow prayers shooting up to heaven and then time that you designate to your prayer um, that where you can um, have that silence. That's really important to find a time in your day for quiet. We need that. We need meditative prayer um, in all seasons of our prayer life. But difficulties can arise. So it can be, we can be suffering something in particular. We can have um, dryness in prayer, feel desolate, you know, all these different things. But we still, in um, the gift of faith will help us to keep praying, to persevere in prayer. And with that gift of faith, we will see who we are as women and understand more of our maternal heart. Some of the qualities that we have very naturally as women, um, our gentleness, kindness, compassion, wisdom, counsel, protectiveness, purity, loveliness, just to name a few. And you might hear one of those and say, well, I'm not like that. <laughs> um, and, and, and this is not, this is, this, this is really important because I think a lot of us can look to our lady and say, oh, she's so sweet and meek and like, you know, I, I wish like my recorder could see my face when I do that, but like uh, almost like kitsch a little, like just so, so sweet, you know, she was a warrior queen. <laughs> you know, that is what Revelations tells us. She captured all the personality. She was fiery too. Um, so when I'm talking about gentleness, you can be gentle and meek and humble and still have a passion and a zeal about you. Um, and, and Christ was like that. We see that he flipped tables, you know, at different points. So, um, and he was meek and humble. So, so, um, this is, these gifts actually like surpass personality. 
Okay. They surpass personality and they go into the heart of woman. Um, and when we find that certain gifts are hard for us or we don't have them, um, that are very maternal based, like maternal based gifts, gifts, which is like the heart of woman. Um, we, we can pray for healing in those areas. Okay. Because there are a lot of wounds in motherhood right now. There's a lot of wounds that we need to overcome. Um, and especially, um, especially in regards to like these qualities of motherhood, this tenderness, you know, these, these soften, this softened heart, because, um, I think, I think we often harden as we, especially as we get older, you know, a bit, you know, you go through some things and you start to harden a little bit and like harden more and then harden more. And the Lord is asking, um, particularly in women that there's a particular gift. Now both men and women need this, but there's a particular gift of this gentle heart ready to receive others. So what be it a baby, um, and nurturing the baby, but also a friend, like just, you know, receiving the heart of a friend, sitting and having coffee and just hearing them and receiving them gently, kindly, you know, um, with encouragement and compassion and not judgment. And, you know, like maybe your friend's going through hard things. We've all been there, right? We have this friend. We've done this. Okay. This is, this is a part of our maternal hearts. Um, but I do think there are areas that, um, like, I think this could be a whole talk in itself, but there are areas in which we all need to uncover of needed healing in our maternal hearts. Um, I also wanted to touch on with lively faith in the maternal woman, the real reality of spiritual motherhood. That is what Our Lady shows us. I have this quote here from scripture, Matthew chapter one, verse 23, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. She is maiden and mother. She proves the reality of spiritual motherhood. So um, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends who struggle with infertility, a lot in family members. And, um, and it is a real, I think it is a cross that is a high calling because it's truly, um, it's, it's truly a cross of the heart of woman. It's a cross of the heart. Um, but this, with that, just really, really, um, I think, encouraging women in spiritual motherhood. This is a real reality. And of course we see that in sisters and nuns as well. Um, and then the third virtue is our lady's blind obedience. And I tied it to the discerning woman, that, that quality of femininity. Um, why together? Because if you are going to obey someone, you need to discern first who to obey. <laughs> so, um, with this, I wanted to kind of scale out a, li a little bit and look at the church. So one of the ways, blind obedience, if we just look at it plainly as blind obedience, you would say, say that's not virtuous to just be doing what that person on the street tells me to do or something, you know, how is, how is our, our we can ask, you know, St. Louis de Montfort, what does blind obedience mean? You know, well, the reason Our Lady could be blindly obedient to God and St. Joseph was first because of who God is and because who St. Joseph is. He was a righteous man. Um, he was holy and he was a leader um, and he was there to protect her and he was good. Um, so, so when St. Joseph wakes Our Lady up and says, come on, we're we need to go to Egypt, and Our Lady just, all right, you know, and goes. This is, we can say, you know, without question, she's she's off. This was because of who St. Joseph was. So when we look at the relationship of Christ and the church, um, Christ is the head, the church is the body. You cannot separate the two, of course. The church is obedient to Christ. And... Um, and we, the faithful, make up the church. And the church has these teachings for us. They have doctrine where they're, they're teaching us even about the problems of our time that we're facing. 
They're teaching us about contraception. They're teaching us about abortion. They're teaching us about the sacrament of marriage between one man and one woman. And so when we, they're teaching us about being open to life and NFP, natural family planning. They're teaching us about all of these things. And so one way we can live out our own obedience is to look at the problems of our time and read about these things. We can learn about these things so that we can live them more fully. Maybe we're not going to be go preaching on the street corner about them. Maybe that's not our calling. Maybe we're mothers in the home raising our children up in these things. Maybe we're talking about it with friends. Maybe we're living it more fully ourselves. This is the, the greatest way of evangelization, evangelization is when we are living it out ourselves. But we can't, again, live out these things unless we know them. So let's dig into it. If you don't know about something, if I don't know about something, let's find out what the church has to say. There's so much in there. There's so much richness to the history. Ask the questions. The answer's there. And, and if not a full answer, right, like maybe they, they can't tell you exactly about the Blessed Trinity, you're going to be, you know, like neck deep in theologians for that one. But, but there's, they can tell you about the mystery of it. You can have more knowledge in these things. But I think particularly to the questions of our day, being obedient to church teaching is one way we can practice this virtue in imitation of Our Lady. And... Becoming a discerning woman, I linked because we need to, if we are going to be obedient, we need to be discerning of who we're being obedient to. That is very important. We are not meant to be obedient to everyone. <laughs> or, you know, if someone tells you what to do, we need to be discerning as women. So the idea in marriage is that it looks like the church, right? So the husband as the head right? And the woman as the heart, they work together. You can't, you can't take that apart, right? There's a union there. Um, and, and with that, with this, um, with what St. Paul says about a woman's submission, he ends with, you know, a woman's submission because of who the man is. The man is supposed to lay down his life for his bride, the way Christ laid down his life for the church. This is two way. <laughs> so, a woman, like this is not demeaning to women. There's such a misunderstanding of that. So like when we're being obedient to our husbands and submissive, there is a joyful and healthy submission. And that is what the church teaches. It's not a slavery. It's not, um, we are not meant to obey things that are causing sin, pain, that are not for the good of the family. We can be discerning about that, right? And what we, what, you know, the, the hope is that there's this discernment as we prepare for marriage. Is this a man that I trust to lead in these things? And that's not always going to happen. Marriages look different. They really, really do. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot we could get into with this topic. But what I think what we can really pull out from Our Lady is being obedient to church teaching and discerning who to be um, obedient to. Um, and then also understanding that there is an authority in the church and that is good. It's very good. Um, so we need to be able to discern what is right and wrong. And with that, then we will know what can be done in each moment. Then we will know the action to take place. Um, and, um, and when God asks us to do something, we won't be afraid. We'll just do it. So an example would be maybe a husband, your husband gets a job somewhere. <laughs> this happened to me, right? And then I moved, you know, and there was a sort of obedience in that. Okay, we will move. This is where you can provide for us. And I will joyfully do that with you. You know, like we're a team and this is for the good, the common good of our family. And so there was a submission and obedience to that, that move. So that's, I just wanted to touch on that. Um, hot topic. <laughs> Number four is unceasing prayer and the persevering woman. And here I just want to get again, um, I want to go more into um, the issues that we face in prayer. Um, 
so with um, with these, what am I looking at here? So the reason I put these two together, unceasing prayer and the persevering woman, is because to pray constantly the way Our Lady did, her whole life became a prayer because she was perfect in giving God glory in each moment. So she's giving God glory through service. She's giving God glory through her contemplation and meditation. She's giving God glory in um, all the moments of surrender, especially at the Holy Cross. Um, but what she does is she perseveres in prayer even through the difficult times. And so that's what I think is really, really important in motherhood. That prayer is that silent prayer. This is what I should say. That silent prayer is the foundation of our service. So we cannot serve well and we cannot evangelize well if we are not talking to the Lord. <laughs> like we just can't. And and we can maybe like try and try, but it's gonna be really hard and really exhausting um, if we are not steeped in prayer as women. Um, so for mothers, I find there are different times to pray. You'll hear a lot of mothers wake up early. So some some mothers, I, I have so many of my friends do this, they'll wake up really, really early to say their prayers before the children wake up. Other mothers um, will wait till evening or maybe at lunchtime, you know, when some, you know people are napping or off at school or whatever it is. Um, I personally have wake up first thing in the morning and I pray and I let my children be around it. And it's interrupted um, by younger children. But as they get older, they know that this is what mom does. And the reason I do it on purpose when they're awake is to show them what is most important to me. That this is the most important thing I do. This is how I start my day. You will always, my daughter, I remember she, she said to me, and I realized the fruit of it, and now I will never change it. <laughs> um, even if I wanted to wake up really early, I wouldn't change it. Um, she said, I always know mommy's coming downstairs because I hear her rosary beads. Um, and so that's like ingrained in her mind that every morning I say the rosary, and I come down with my, I have my pile of books, you know, like my devotion, like scripture, and I do like little office right now, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but we have our own things, right, that we, our devotions, but um, but just picking, making sure that's there. We need it every single day because that is what is going to fuel love in our service. Um, so spiritual issues we face, like maybe prayer feels very dry or things feel dark or the Lord feels really far away. Um, when we are committed to the sacraments and receiving the sacraments regularly, when we are going to confession and these things are happening, they are a way the Lord draws us closer to him. He is very, very close in that desolation, darkness, dryness, whatever it is that we face when we are committed to prayer and the sacraments. He's so close in it. And it is a way that we grow in holiness because if we're riding on just our emotions and our feelings of goodness in prayer, like I feel good when I pray, um, we're lacking a depth because love is a choice and it surpasses the feeling. So we're going to have moments when it feels really good to be in love. And then we're going to have moments where we're choosing to love. Maybe, maybe we're up in the middle of the night with a baby and we're exhausted, but we're choosing to love. We're choosing to care for that baby in that moment. Um, and even though it doesn't feel good to our bodies and our bodies want to sleep. So in the same way, and that love that is proved in action, right? So in that moment, we're proving this great love for our baby. We're taking, of course, we're saying, of course, we're going to take care of our baby. Um, well, of course, let's continue to pray. Like, of course, even though I don't feel you, Lord, just continuing to pray, persevering in prayer um, and trusting, especially in times of suffering. That is something Our Lady shows us so beautifully, especially through Good Friday is um, is trusting in times of suffering, continuing to recognize God as a father of love, who, who whose story is far greater and more poetic and beautiful than we can see in this moment for each of us. Um, so that is number four. And number five is, I Louis de Montfort says, universal mortification. I wrote it out in my book as self-denial, and I tied it into the self 
sacrificial woman. So I looked specifically at Our Lady denying her own will um, when Christ was on the cross. Because of course, as a mother, anyone who is a mother here, you know, if your child is dying before you, this is horrific. Like you want to do everything you can to save your child. Can you imagine what Our Lady felt looking at her son dying before her? And she didn't deny God's goodness in any moment during that time. She stayed there and she submitted in blind obedience to the will of God in that moment, trusting that this was for the greater good, for something that did she see it or not? I don't know. I wasn't in her head. I know she's probably mystical and maybe she had a greater vision, but she certainly felt the greatest suffering any woman ever felt in all of history during that moment. When he died, she died too. It was a spiritual death. It was a death to the heart. She denied her desire to rip him off the cross, to say, I know you, I know who you are, take yourself down. She did not say that to him. She silently submitted to the point of letting him die and um, encouraging him in that obedience to God the Father. And that was, I think, the greatest act of self-denial a mother has ever done. Um, so that's on a really bigger scale, but now we're going to look a little more practically into our own lives. Um, and what I think here is seeking silence. I think we're very attracted to noise in our day and age. I mean, I know I get distracted really easily. Maybe you, maybe you do too. Um, and so denying ourselves the noise in moments and put the phone in the drawer, you know, um, or turn the podcast off or, you know, whatever it is. These things are all good in different moments for different things, but we need time for silence with God and we can deny ourselves that noise to get that silence and it doesn't feel very comfortable sometimes. But in our daily moments, when we seek these times for silence, we are spiritually refreshed in that. Not all of us can go on retreats. If there is a retreat, I highly recommend going to it, especially if Catholic mothers does one, <laughs> um, because we could really use it as mothers. You know, we could really use that time to clear our head. We don't always get that, and that's okay. The Lord knows, right? But but we do need time to clear our head, even in small ways. And so finding time for silence, finding time for rest, finding true rest, not like I'm going to binge watch Netflix right now, rest. I mean, like a real quiet, like reading a good novel, um, looking at artwork, um, sewing, whatever it is. Like, you know, there's these different like crafty things some people like, or, you know, maybe it's music, playing music, just uh, or artwork in some ways. You know, there's all or maybe it's sports, like like some sort of thing um, that really just rests your mind. That's not just consumption. Like we really need this. Um, and so denying ourselves the noise so that we can enter into this something a little more restful that refreshes our souls. Um, the other aspect that I, I think about when I think about self-denial is um, considering our priorities in life, um, especially as women. So, well, I mean, men and women, but tonight we're talking about women. So let's let's do that. So God first. Our vocations are second. Um, so assuming, because this is Catholic Mothers, okay, marriage after God, marriage. We need to be nourishing our marriages. We have to. It's the foundation of the family. Um, and, and it can be hard. Um, and it can... Um, it, it can fall on the wayside because of time, because you're, you know, we're serving this baby and that baby and doing this and he's working and da, da, da. we have to find the time. It is so important. It's the foundation of the family. So God, marriage, children, and then all the other works. And we all have them, whether it be work, hobby, whatever it is, the, all the other stuff, you know, comes under those things. But when we have those priorities straight, 
our life is going to be peaceful. We're going to feel a peace that if those priorities get wacky and we're not putting God first and we're not nourishing our marriages or our children are being thrown to the wayside, it's going to feel really hard in a way that it doesn't have to be. Like God, God has this perfect plan for the family. He set it up for our freedom, not because we're enslaved as women. Like you need to like nourish your marriage and be a mom, you know? (laughs) Um, and, and it's, it's that he's saying people, it's God and those people in front of you first. It's what Mother Teresa says, like, love your family. You want to change the world, love your family. So praying to the Lord, how can I better love my husband? How can I better, how can I more joyfully serve my children? You know, just thinking about these things and being intentional. It takes intention because it just kind of, you know, you go through life and like certain things just sort of fall off the wayside or, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're just feeling really busy. So being intentional about these things and protecting them, that's the other thing, because everything's going to try to get us. The devil likes to do that. Like, you know, get, get them busy and get all the noise in. And then the priorities won't be straight. Then you can't pray. (laughs) Then you can't have a strong marriage and a, a strong friendship in your marriage. I mean, ultimately the, the goal is to foster friendship in marriage. Marriage is supposed to be true friendship. That is the goal, to grow in friendship for a lifetime. Um, and that takes, friendship takes effort. Friendship takes talking. It takes sharing. It takes vulnerability. It takes arguments and overcoming those arguments. And it takes growing closer through those things, you know, through the hard times. It takes all of that. So priorities, I think, are part of this conversation of self-denial and self being self-sacrificing, giving up other things for greater things. Um, giving up other desires for the foundations of our lives to be really well nourished so we can feel proud of that, especially at the end of our lives that we can look back and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I did my best. Well, that's what we want at the end, you know? Um, and I'm also going to go back to self-knowledge. <laughs> so when we, um, and we're going to get into fasting a little bit here. So when we know ourselves, when we have that time of silence, when we can reflect on these things, we can look and see our areas of weakness. We all have them. They're there. They're there for me. Um, and we can, you know, one one really practical way to do this is to just sit in prayer, maybe in an adoration chapel, um, or if in your bedroom, just close the door and just pray for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and have a notebook and write down different areas in your life that you see are weaknesses, are real weaknesses in your heart, in my heart. And with that, we have this beautiful example in the lives of the saints in sacred scripture that shows us that so many weaknesses can be overcome with fasts and mortification. So an example would be perhaps overindulging in food or drink, unhealthy shopping habits, distracting oneself, in an unhealthy way, Um, you know, these sorts of things. And what we can do is we can fast in the opposite direction to an extreme for a short time. So for instance, let's say I, I, I like dresses. Some of you know that. Um, So let's say I buy too many dresses (laughs) Um, and I just love buying dresses. So every couple of days I'll just buy a new dress because it makes me feel really good. And I get like, a nice little adrenaline shot. So maybe I say, um, for three months, I'm not buying one piece of clothing. I'm not going to buy one piece of clothing. Okay. You're like, maybe three months is too long. Okay. (laughs) Maybe like 40 days. Maybe like we're talking Lent here. It's too long. Um, Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to buy dresses for 40 days. That's what we're going to say. Okay. And this is a fast. And the idea is not that this is the grandest way, like this is the most virtuous way is that I never shop for a dress again, but it's that it puts me in the mean because virtue is in the mean. So I have this vice, right? So I'm going to go far in the opposite direction so that I'm breaking this habit so that I can be in the mean and I can have a healthy relationship with shopping again, right? So that's how fasting practically works for us. Now with women, 
we need to be careful with fasting from calories, especially when we are breastfeeding, pregnant, all these things <laughs> that can come up. So there, so if it's food related, there are other things we can do um, during this time that are a lot healthier for women because our bodies are changing so much. And so I think I think this is important to touch on for women. Um, we can not put butter on our toast, or we cannot salt our dinner, things like that. We can do that sort of fast to sort of put our flesh in its place, so to speak. You know, we can do other creative fasts. Um, to help us overcome ourselves. And this exterior action, so we're made body and soul, right? And that's what makes up the human person. So when our bodies are sort of put in their place like this, when we subject our bodies to something uncomfortable in this way, we're ordering our souls. It's, it's, so, it's so interesting how the exterior um, actually will order the interior or disorder the interior, right? But with these, so so this is this is just you know in brief thinking about the areas of weakness, writing down areas that you could um, improve that I could improve, and then creating um, short fasts in the opposite direction to find the virtue and the means, and through that self denial, um, and and so um, we we um, are bringing order into our hearts. Okay. The next is number six, and this is Our Lady's Surpassing Purity. And I'm going to take this in a little bit different of a direction, and I hope you'll, I hope you'll just like go with me in your minds. Um, so I connected it to the bridal woman. Um, now, I could talk about this in the, in the area of relationships and things like that, um, but what I want to do here is talk about being a bride of Christ, being a little, his little bride, being the bridal woman, because that's who Our Lady is. And I just sort of have this image in my mind of Our Lady's role with each of us as her daughters coming to us and taking our hand. This is her role. This is what she does if we let her. She takes our hand and she puts it into Christ's hand because... She is bringing us closer to Christ. And the ultimate end, the ultimate goal is union with Christ, is being the bridal woman, is, is going to heaven and sharing in that, that um, uh, it, it's, it's marital, you know, <laughs> this, the union with Christ. So, um, and that's what marriage is supposed to represent, right? Christ and his church. So each of us is supposed to have this intimate relationship, this union with Christ. And um, the great saints talk about this. St. John of the Cross, you know, the ascent to holiness he, he writes about. And he talks about um, the, the different paths to holiness, how there's the purgative path and the luminative path. So we're going through times where we're reading of, this is very important, that the purgative path is this sort of reading of the impurity in the heart. So I'm surpassing um, fleshly impurity here and saying just impurity in general, um, impurities of the heart in general, shedding that. Um, and in the book, I ended up using that sort of garment mentality um, and this image of being at the cross. So I'm going to try to like paint this picture in your head of this woman. Just picture yourself at the foot of the cross and you have a garment on. It's a white garment and it's totally dirty with mud. And you're sitting there and you're working the soil underneath the cross and trying to create a garden. But you are you're very dirty and you're working really hard and the rain comes down and you're a mess. Um, and you're just, you know, wiping the sweat off your face. Um, you are working to cultivate good habits. You are seeking purity of mind, soul, and body. Um, you are cleansing yourself of the desires. St. John of the Cross says, like, perfect holiness is actually, like, having no desires at all. And then the Lord, like, swoops in and just takes you. So, like, this purification of the desires of our heart. Um, and, uh, and we're being in it when the rain comes down, just washed clean in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the mud, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of our daily life of cultivating this garden 
essentially underneath the cross when we're doing this we're planting seeds when we're going through this process of seeking to live be the virtuous woman to put on this virtuous woman to put on our lady we are planting all these seeds well the lord is planting the seeds he's he's his hands are working in our hands and we're working at the foot of the cross and the idea is in the end so this is like a very spiritual we're getting into very spiritual things um that these seeds grow into a magnificent garden at the foot of the cross that he's looking down on and consoled by by you as his has his daughter there and so when i think of this sort of purity and the bridal woman um i think about how our lady meets us in our struggle and how purity um is a lifelong pursuit in that it it doesn't just have to do with the flesh that is an initially very big thing um but as i'm talking to mothers here i think we can go deep into this dig deep into this and see like we want pure hearts we want hearts that are rid of sin we want to seek to be cleansed completely of sin and to put on this new beautiful garment that is fresh and clean that the lord puts on us And so I have this um, from Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. This is the Lord speaking to his beloved. Now, the Song of Songs has many metaphors, one of which is Christ talking to his church, one of which is Christ talking to you. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly lovely. And I just think this captures that... um, sort of mystery and poetry of putting on the virtuous woman and seeking to grow into having this pure heart and becoming brides of Christ. Okay. Number seven is ardent love and the sensitive woman. Um, So when I think specifically about motherhood and ardent love, I think most about our day-to-day moments. So often we can be tired or feel weary. Um, and it, again, takes this intention to put on joy in our service, in serving our husband and serving our children. When we are are doing it with love, you know, St. Therese talks about picking up a pin off the floor. And if you do that with love, it's this great act of love to God and it can save souls when we're offering it up. So. When we are serving with love, it becomes so much bigger than we see because the Lord sees it. So there's all these different moments in our day that we can serve very quietly when we're doing the dishes. And something that's really helpful in keeping this disposition of love is um, keeping in the forefront of our minds um, how the Lord is in that moment and who we are loving, you know, and thinking about who we are loving. I am doing these dishes because I love my family and they are going to, you know, these are the people who are going to use them next. I'm wiping down this table so that um, these people that I love can serve, like eat their meals at this clean table. I'm folding this laundry for my child to wear. Um, these, these are great acts of love when we are super intentional about it. And when we're aware of the power of what we're doing and not just you know, bitterly sort of getting through our day and getting through the task, it's, it makes it grueling. It's not fun. And again, we're meant for freedom with Christ. We're meant to live lives that are, are fully alive. And, and when we're attuned to this, when we're paying attention to this, this is a moment where I can love the Lord in my child, in my husband, in my friend, in my neighbor, in my community, whatever it might be in my work environment, whatever it might be, this is a moment I can love the Lord in serving in a way that um, is sensitive to the people around me. So I tied ardent love with a sensitive heart because um, I think that sensitivity, well, I think first of all, it needs to be talked about. Um, But in order to love more fully, we need to be, um, our hearts need to be beating, pulsing alive. They need to be hearts of flesh. They can't be stony. We can't have stony hearts and love, right? Because if we're putting up this huge protective barrier um, over ourselves, yes, we might be protecting ourselves, but we're not able to then give in a vulnerability. Um, 
And so there's, there's often different seasons in life where we need to pray for a specific healing in the areas of our heart. And I've found <laughs> that just even getting past bigger struggles, like I knew in university, for instance, I was just very, you know, concerned about getting married and it not working out. And I had this like sort of protective barrier over my heart and I had to get past that to actually trust that getting married was what the Lord was calling me and, um, and to enter into my vocation. But there's also spiritual surgeries that take place throughout our lives till the very end. And, um, one example I'll give is, um, in this last December, I, I got pregnant again and I did not think that we were ready because I did not think we had the support of the doctors, all these things, all that there was all these things coming up and I was so scared. Um, and I didn't know that I would be scared when I was pregnant. I didn't know until I was pregnant. And then I felt all those feelings. I felt scared. I was like, Oh wait, I don't have my family here to help. Oh wait, I don't have my doctors. Like, Oh wait, all these things. I felt scared in December. And, um, and I remember thinking this is, I didn't even know I would be scared getting pregnant again because we were open to life. I did not know we would be scared. I would, I would be scared. Why do I feel scared? And I was like, I realized this baby. So I lost this baby and I realized I named her Lucy. Lucy taught me. Um, she worked on my heart. It was a spiritual surgery. She, she taught me not to be afraid and to be courageous. And that it didn't matter if I have all these children and people judge me and blah, blah, blah. It didn't matter at all. What mattered was the Lord's will. And I, I saw in myself that this was a spiritual surgery that I did not know I needed. I did not know I would be afraid. But then when it happened, I learned this lesson and I put on courage. Now I'm pregnant again. Well, I got pregnant after that and now I'm pregnant again. <laughs> and I'm not afraid at all. And I'm ready. You know, like I'm, the Lord worked on my heart in all of that. And so that's what I mean with these spiritual surgeries is God, if you're suffering something, if you're going through something hard, when we surrender that to God, he can perform these spiritual surgeries on our heart. He knows what you and I need individually, what exact, exact operations we need on our hearts. And he will perform them perfectly. And when we are submitting to them and allowing those crosses, those sufferings to wash over us, for me, it was miscarrying. It was dreadfully difficult. Um, when we let them wash over us, it becomes healing to our souls and our hearts. And when we unite it to him, when we unite our suffering to him, it, it, it's healing. Um, and from that, from these, these crosses and from the sufferings and from these lessons, we will either, we will have a choice. We will harden or we will allow the Lord to work and grow into that pulsing, beating heart that is sensitive, that's able to receive love and give love even more fully. So I think of Our Lady um, at the Passion, at the scene of the Passion, letting her heart break, showing us the significance of love. Now, with suffering, the more, the greater we suffer and unite it to Christ, the greatest, the greater our capacity for joy is. So when we suffer something deeply and unite that to Jesus, our ability to be joyful also is greater. Um, and our, so Our Lady suffered more than any woman, any mother in the world, but she also was able to have the greatest joy any woman or mother in the world had. And we, she experienced that at the resurrection. She was more joyful than any of us. She rejoiced more than anyone because she had that capacity. Her heart was so expanded and big. And that's what our hearts, we're called, our hearts are meant to be, um, we are meant to love and be loved. That's, we, are, we were made for it. We were made for it. So that's where ardent love comes in. Number eight is, I'm not keeping up. Oh, I'm so sorry for talking too long. I'm going to finish up. <laughs> okay. Our Lady's Patience and the Nurturing Woman. Um, 
so our uh, the, these are what I put together. Um, I cannot believe I took that one. So our lady is ready to nurture in all circumstances, um, and she's here for us when we called. And um, one of the main points, practical on the ground, that I had for this was being a good friend. Being a good friend. Avoid gossiping. Avoid detraction from others. Be encouraging. When we are there as women for each other, when we uplift each other, women, and encourage each other, um, and we forgive quickly, and we we see the weaknesses in our friend growing into a closer friend, and we love them through that, that is so healing. We need that in our lives. We need, you know, I'm a sinner. Um, so the closer someone gets to me, right, like they're going to see more weaknesses in me. And um, to be loved in your weakness is r- extremely healing, right? So... Um, so we can be that to others. We can intentionally be that friend. Number nine. See, I'm rushing now. <laughs> um, we're wrapping it up. Our Lady's angelic kindness and the strong woman. Um, so there can be, I'll go fast, a temptation to be harsh with ourselves and harsh with others. Um, and I think that kindness is what softens hearts and it's the best way to evangelize. So a temptation is to go too far in two ways, maybe to be relativistic and say, it's fine, it's fine. And you know, that all these, that, you know, X person is living this lifestyle that's super simple and blah, blah, blah. Um, And then there's another extreme where we are so fiery and zealous that we are quite harsh to others. Um, and, and so finding that, virtue in the mean again being kind is holding on to the fast to um the fact that sin is sin um and and trying to draw people to the lord through this encouragement and love and kindness and by living it out ourselves and speaking when necessary only when necessary when the lord is calling us to speak on these things um and uh i i think uh i have to hit on this we are so hard on ourselves. I think, and, and the harder we are on ourselves, the more easy it is to be harsh with others. So I think a great way to actually like tap into this issue and overcome it is to look at ourselves and, and be, give ourselves a little more grace um, and, and try our best and, and try and keep running to the confessional, keep running to the sacrament, keep running to the Lord um, in the Holy Eucharist and asking to overcome our weaknesses but also saying, okay, I am weak. Lord, I'm weak. Help me. And just sort of entering into that. Um, because when we can give ourselves um, a little bit of grace, we can give, we can offer that to others and that encouragement to others. Um, and the last one is um, Mary's heavenly wisdom and the beautiful woman. And I, I'm going to actually just end pretty quickly here, but what is beauty? Beauty, true beauty, is um, holiness in the soul, and it, it radiates. That's why when people talked about meeting the saints, they saw a glow in them and a joy, and it was almost unexplainable. Um, and I, I've experienced this when I um, go see certain nuns. Like I, I, I'm thinking of the discalced Carmelite nuns. When I see them, they're just so joyful and radiant. Um, you see that in people, and it's it's beautiful. And that's why then you have like these incorrupt saints and like all these things and they're like glowing and they smell good. Like you're just, because it's from the soul. Like these, these miracles are happening because of the beauty of the soul. Um, so I am going to end on this. I have never, this is, I'm reading from my book. Um, and this is about woman and this wraps it up. The woman. So this is from Mary teach me to be your daughter. The woman, the final creature brought forth in Genesis, is crowned jewel of the cosmos. Adam delighted in Eve. Her companionship, friendship, and physical beauty he beheld with such an awe and admiration. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. He cherished her in the wholeness of her nature a creature like unto himself and yet complementary in body and soul. Her body is soft and nurturing, ready to receive and bear life into the world. 
her body made with one of the greatest capacities of the human race, the power to receive and grow new life, a sacred soil within her that blossoms forth with the touch of God who brings a soul into being with an immortal destiny living on for all eternity. This is woman. We are meant to put on the virtuous woman, to put on these virtues and bear Christ into the world anew.